welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation. Today I'm talking to Heather McTaggart. So Heather is the co-author of a book, Overschooled but Undereducated, that she wrote with John Abbott. She's the founder of the Unschooling School movement, um, which is really a movement to make school work for kids, not the other way around. Um, to say that I'm excited to be recording this conversation is an understatement because I've spoken to Heather not so long ago and we had the most awesome conversation. So very warm welcome, Heather. Well, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Yes, really exciting. Um, I think I think the listeners are in for a treat because um, Heather's got really amazing ideas and, and innovative ideas. So brace yourselves, people. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> so, brace themselves, depending on how they feel about radical ideas. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. It's like we're, we're in fear and, and love they want to be. Yes. And like gauge. So um, Heather, tell us about the this unschooling school movement. Um, you know, why did you create it? Well, I've known for a very, very, very long time, probably since I was seven years old, that there's something wrong with our standard model of education, that we try to pretend that all children are the same, that they should do the same things at the same time, the same age, and that they all want to do the same things, and um, that that's, you know, that we treat them like they're widgets in a factory. And we've been saying in the education system for many years that that's wrong and we need to change, but we just keep doing the same thing with a slightly different flavor on it. And I was looking very seriously. I, I, I worked with First Nations communities. We ran projects there for over 15 years, demonstrating that alternative methodologies do work, but they don't really change systems. So we definitely help people and change lives. In fact, started businesses, but the systems themselves didn't change. So I was, I was looking at starting a very, uh, an independent self-directed school where, where kids could um, spend the day doing the things that they wanted to do, be supported by educators um, who were available to help them. And then COVID hit. And then I started thinking, you know, why, why do we have to start alternative schools to prove that school needs to change? Why don't we just stand up as parents and as children in schools and say, I don't want to do it like that anymore. This is my school. I pay taxes. You work for me. This is a public service like a library or a community center or any public service. You know, you don't go into the library and they force you to read Lord of the Flies. You're allowed to read whatever book you want. In fact, you're allowed to borrow books and come back and never have read them at all. And no one's going to be cross with you if you do that. But in, you know, in school, it's, it, you, there's so little choice. And if there is choice, it's, you know, red pajamas, blue pajamas. It's not true choice. 
And we put up with this, I think, mainly just because it's what we all did. It's what we went through. And even if we know it's ridiculous, we say to our kids, well, that's just the way school is. Hang in there, play the game, do your best. You'll be free one day. But we're finding out that that's, it's not all true and that the kids are not getting the kinds of skills they need to actually succeed in the world because we're wasting their time memorizing stuff that they could find on their phone in two seconds. And that's just one thing. So I'll pause, but that, that's yeah, the reason yeah. I started this is it's our system. Let's take control. Let's take the control back with the parents yeah. and the students. Yeah. So what I love about the, the movement in your work is twofold. The first one is for years, you know, when I, in, within the system with flourishing education, I've been saying, you know, we need to have a flourishing education. You need a systemic approach. So you need to have flourishing students and staff and also I would argue flourishing parents because if I've par as parents we're completely stressed out forget it your kids are just going to really you know you'll have a an argument before they go to school and then they'll be taking that to school and the same for the teachers so it's systemic absolutely yes big yes but I also love the fact that unlike many people um you're you're saying no we need to because i'm a big fan of the of schools in a sense that i i think the way i see it is i'm paying taxes and i don't mind paying taxes because i'm contributing to um the roads the hospitals the um you know i guess I, I, that's how i think um yeah. and the same for the schools so i so love when i spoke to you and you were saying that i was like yes, that makes so much sense and that's why i i think we shouldn't scrap schools and we should all have access to, um, to, to this, to the same service. So you said just now that we all, I guess we don't question as much, uh, possibly because we've been through the system. And so therefore it's just like, well, that's what I did. And you know, it did a, an okay job with me. So it'll an okay job with you. Um, but um, I wonder how do we how do we encourage more parents to question to say you're working for me, uh, you're like a library as opposed to because very often it feels like when you contact the school, the other way around. Well, yeah, very much the other way around. Suddenly you become like the kid that's in trouble. And you yes. call the school and you're a little nervous because you're speaking to the principal or the teacher and oh my gosh, the teacher's going to be angry with me or the priest, you know, I'm going to be in trouble by the principal. And it's just this weird power authority that we've, that we've somehow inverted. And it's, it's because, you know, we went to school during our impressionable years. And so we got this authority idea that they're the boss and, and we're the, we're the servants really. And the system, you know, and kids are for sure the very bottom of the totem pole in terms of the hierarchy, you know, in the school system. So but to answer your question, you know, how do you get parents to sort of think about this more and to say, okay, well, what could we do? The first answer is to really delve into what's wrong with what we're doing now. And to do that, all you need to do is spend a little time learning about how the brain actually works. You know, it's a hilarious thing that there's a new movement in education called brain-based learning. So my thought is, well, what was the learning based on before? Foot-based learning, you know? 
index finger bait. Like how absurd that brain-based learning is this big new area that we should be, you know, encouraging teachers to look into and think about. So if, if you start looking at how does the brain learn, we have a, a, a whole section on this on our website. So on, on unschoolingschool.com, there's a section called resources. And we have something that we, we term the crash course in self-directed education. But ultimately, we want kids to take charge of their education, right? We want everybody to own their learning, own their life. Um, make becoming educated is their job. And that it's something they love because we want everybody to be a lifelong learner because if the pandemic and the rate of change in the world is teaching us anything, it's that there's always gonna be change. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't have a crystal ball. So to just say, look, I passed all this curriculum and think that means you're going to be a success in life. I doubt it. So if we can have kids come out of the, you know, the regular K-12 system and love learning because they've been allowed to follow their own passions and do the things they want, then we can't get any better than them. Because they'll always be able to change and adjust and learn something new to figure out, okay, where am I going to fit in in this world? And what kind of a job can I do? Uh, I see there's that and I kind of like that. And here's what I need to learn to do. You know, it's that adaptability that you also get by doing real things. You know, there's uh, organizations and businesses and uh, higher education are lamenting the fact that kids aren't creative problem solvers and they're not adaptable. They don't know how to, you know, work really well in groups and think creatively. Well, why would they? They sit in a class, generally still in rows. They're handed work. They're told exactly what to do. They're praised if it's right. They're frowned on if it's wrong. And then we say to them, oh, now somebody should teach adaptability and creativity. Those things can't be taught. Those things have to be lived. But to have them lived, we need to create the space that can happen. We have those spaces in our schools. We just need to use them differently. Yes, yes. And you know, you were saying about the, the brain-based uh, learning. Um, I was reading, um, I, don't know, I don't know, yeah, I'm sure you know him, but um, Guy Claxton, have you, have you heard of mm -hmm. Guy Claxton? Yeah, so Guy Claxton's um, latest book and he was saying that uh, for us in the UK the focus is very much on the what he calls the Descartes direct uh, in, instruction knowledge rich uh, curriculum and he was also explaining that the the knowledge or the, the the basis of this knowledge rich and sort of like breadth of of knowledge is all based on a very old uh, cognitive science that like your brain is literally like a little computer you've got the short-term memory and that can only hold like six or seven bits of information at a time and then you've yeah. got to ram ram through um the information so it eventually gets into somewhere in your brain that looks like a little box that is like your long-term memory um and when I was, I was reading that I was like yes of course that's exactly what it's based on because I can see it and, it, and yet, with the progress we've made with neuroscience, mm -hmm. absolutely no sense. But they're still insisting that it does make sense. Yeah. And and we as parents, because you were you know like saying about how do we 
how do we question? One of the things that I say, and I, I recognize from my own experience, is that as a parent who is a, you know, who came through a system, a, you know, a product of the system, working within the system. Um, who was a great student. You were a great student, right? right. You got high marks. You don't. Yeah. And so I never questioned it. And until, uh -huh. until COVID and until recently, I wasn't questioning any of this. So, you know, as parents, you don't even look at that and go, what are they doing? And I only started looking through homeschooling when I saw some of the sheets my children were handed, uh, uh, you know, over. And I was just thinking, hmm, it's very relevant. So how do we, can we influence policy makers and, you know, decision makers? to look at a different view of, of the cognitive science, do you think? Well, I think it, it comes from parents getting themselves educated, from parents understanding, okay, there's, there's really, there's two schools of thought. One is our current standardized system, which is that everything needs to be standardized, broken down to its smallest bit. Kids needs to be organized by age. You know, it's, this, it's the factory model, the standardization covenant. Some people, there's a book called Dark Horse, and that's what they talk in there, is that the standardization covenant. But there's another philosophy, and that's what I call the innate philosophy. And the innate philosophy says children are born to learn. It is literally what they were born to do. We're not the preeminent teaching species, but we are the preeminent learning species, partially because we're born premature. You know, we're the, uh, our babies are the most more premature than any other um, animal that's born. And, but it's got software you know, in the brain that just needs the right environment to fire up. And it turns out that even though writing and reading, for example, is only recent, it's certainly not in our 10,000 year old selves, um, it's become such an important part of our culture in which we live that if kids are surrounded by writing and reading, they will learn to do that too, too on their own without direct instruction. And there's plenty of people, there's a, a wonderful organization out of, um, out of Europe, but it looks called FREE, F-H-R-E-E. -E. Um, I think it's free.org. And they have got all kinds of uh, video and, and resources that talk about uh, just letting kids be, letting them explore. And that these things, even like reading and writing and doing math will come to them because they'll, they'll need it for something. They'll say, hey, I wanna play that game. Or I want to do that thing and I need to read to do that. Okay, let me figure this reading out. And then it can happen really, really quickly. And I think hearing you say that, it's also shifting the paradigms and the view of you know, the innate learning, wanting to learn, wired to, to learn, but also the fact that children, whatever their age and stage they're at, are not incomplete in some way which I'm now realizing, I guess I sort of possibly believed um, when I looked at my children, you know, age like two and three, it's almost like I, I was reflecting on that the other night thinking, was I actually looking at my children, expecting them to be the, an adult? So it's sort of like you're on, almost like an incomplete adult. And so my role is to make you a complete adult. I was Right, right. on that um and then I was quite horrified because like oh my god wow. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so, so what would you say to that? Do you think that our society has a tendency to see children as, as incomplete as well? I do think that. And I also think that we have a tendency to see them, tendency almost to see them as broken. You know, there's something wrong and we need to fix them in the education system. You know, I mean, it was, it was part of it for a while is, you know, take the child out of the, out of the, out of the person, take the, you know, and for all the colonial education, educate the Indian out of the child. I mean, take the natural, it was the same really thing. It's the same saying, take the natural tendencies and natural interests out of the child by putting them in a very mechanic, mechanistic system. So that we're going to interrupt what's natural and we're going to force in what we want. And that was all very well when what we needed was factory workers or people that could read the Bible and recite it back. And that's all we really expected. But that's not what we need now. We need the, we need the opposite of those things. You know, reading and writing is the, is the bare minimum. We need all, you know, we're, we're seeing it. That's the softer skills that counts. Otherwise a robot can do it. You know, the interpersonal. The collaboration, the, the, you know, the very, very outside of the box, radical th kinds of things. And those things don't happen by breaking stuff down to their smallest parts, dividing kids into their age groups and delivering, delivering a preset curriculum. Amazing. So with the unschooling school, how do we as a parent if I want to say to the school right I want to make the school work for me yeah what would you suggest I do I think there's three kind of stages the first stage is to get educated yourself you've got to be able to have the argument like this <laughs> you know you got to be able to stand up to any educator that's going to tell you this you know something that's very different or, well we need our standards and we need our tests and we need our this no we actually don't and here's how I know so, you know, the, the unschoolingschool.com website has a great loads of stuff on progressive education, has tons of stuff on it. There's just so much information out there. And to understand, you know, really first and foremost, the kids are born to learn. And what does that mean? And what are schools like Summerhill or like Sudbury Valley that have, you know, Summerhill for over 100 years and Sudbury Valley for over 50 years spawned probably 500 self-directed schools across the world. They all work. They all have very similar results. 80, 85% of kids go to higher education. People don't come out of there without being able to read or write. And they don't come out of there with dyslexia or ADHD either. They say at Sudbury Valley, they've never had a kid with dyslexia. That's because they don't force them to read. Children learn to read when they naturally would. Doesn't mean they don't have a dyslexic brain, which is what I have. But what we do know is that's a great advantage later on because it's a great problem solving brain. But if I had never been told you're stupid, there's something wrong with you and, and spent all that time, you know, with loads of attention on me, trying to force me to read when my brain wasn't ready to read. Imagine what else I could have been doing. And imagine all the baggage and crap I wouldn't have had to, had to work through later, you know, for somehow it, I knew it was, I, I'm fine. It's you guys, you guys are something wrong with you, but not everybody thinks that way. And the, I think the things that happened in the school system did very profoundly damage one of my brothers and caused me a great deal of anxiety with my, with my middle daughter who did again rise above it. And, you know, in some ways the struggle helped her, but, it, but there didn't need to be so much angst with it, you know, because kids will 
figure these things out. So I'm not saying do nothing. You know, it's not about doing nothing. To, to allow kids the space to self-direct their education. So you imagine your school. So you've got a school building, it's this big. On this side of it, it's got all the classes running and the normal things that you expect in a school, fine. On this side of it, you've got kids who don't necessarily want to do all that. So some kids are on there doing their own little thing, the way school normally operates. Let's say, let's say it's got a school with 500 kids. Let's say 100 of the kids are on this free learner side, is what we call it. And there's two or three classrooms that are put aside for them. And there's an outdoor space that they can access and they can access the gym when nobody's using it. And they can access the library when nobody's using it. And then they come and go from these classes as they see fit and what works for them. For kids that would like to study biology all day long, we won't let them because the bell goes and it's time to go to art. Ridiculous. If a kid wants to study biology all day long, let them stay in that biology lab and do biology all day long. And of course, the other, the other is true. So if we get enough parents and enough kids, when I say kids, I'm thinking at this point of teenagers and we're starting, you know, we have a bunch of youth right now working on what we call the free learner movement of, of kids saying, you know what, I should be able to choose what I do. So if you have a school of 500 and you have 100, 100 young people that say, I'm a free learner, I'm gonna have free time here, but I'm gonna come and go to classes as I see fit. And if I don't see a class I like, I'm gonna to get together with a bunch of other people and say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had a class in astrophysics? Hey teacher, does anybody around here know astrophysics? No, good, can we find somebody online? Can we like help me problem solve this? And then they brought in the things that they wanted. We want a robotics lab. You know, we need a 3D printer. Let's, let's do a fundraiser and get a 3D printer. So then you have kids that are doing things they're passionate about, they're engaged them. They're fundraising for them. They're starting businesses. They're going out and volunteering. They're job shadowing. They're doing all the things that give them what they really need to succeed in life. They need experiences. They need networks. And they need responsibility. So that's that's how they'll get good at all those things. Mm. And what I'm hearing is underneath that, there needs to be two things. First one is to trust. Trust and like let go. Yeah. And also remove fear. Because to me, what I'm I think I see um is and, and it's really interesting because doing the podcast and having these amazing conversations I'm having, I can see how much my thinking is evolving and changing and you know the approach. Yeah. But that I, I really sense that there's a there's fear. And I, I think the fear is because for many people, change is scary. And what you know, even if it's not, you know, I guess that's the reason some people stay in a relationship that's not working because right. to be in a relationship, then, then the unknown and uncertainty. Yeah. So do you see that in, in the work you do, the sort of like the both the fear and then, you know, and then the trust, how do we, because I remember I interviewed a, a head of a school and he said the problem, Fabian, is that I think most of us don't trust young people that they will, if you, and I guess this is why we sort of say, you know, they need to be disciplined and listen and all of those things, yep. because there's a, there's a fear in the adult that if you let a child do what they want, then they'll, just, they'll run havoc and 
um, mm -hmm. all of those things. Fear is the number one thing that stops us from doing this. And, and people that want to continue to make that fear big, you know, because they want to stay, it's fear and control, right? Like that's, that's how it's run. Um, there are plenty of educators, plenty, plenty out there. We call them responsible subversive. People that know that the current system doesn't make a lot of sense and would really like to be doing something different. They have a very hard time because there's so much structure. You know, I don't think there's any sort of evil thought behind this. Education was created in some ways for good reasons, but it's become a living entity unto itself that is very self-preserving. And so even people in the system that want to make change have a hard time. But if you've got kids, if you had a hundred parents, or let's say you have those hundred kids, you have 75 parents, they're joining together, they're coming in, they're meeting with the educators, and they're saying, look, we believe in the innate philosophy of learning. We believe children are driven to educate themselves. We would like the school to provide the environment that allows that to happen. And these are the things we'd like our child to do, and these are the things they're gonna opt out of, and they're gonna do this in a very respectful manner, and here's our agreement. And we've got on the website, we've created something called the Free Learner Individual Education Plan. And you can fill it out and it looks just like a government document where you can pick the things you're gonna do and the things you're not gonna do, including a tick box that says, I, re I um, retain the ability to change my mind on any of this at any time. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, it's funny you said people don't like change. Change is the only thing we know for sure is gonna happen. The only constant really is change. So it's, you know, why not embrace it and learn how to work with change and go, you know, let's go with the flow, you know, and, yeah. and that's part of what we're letting kids, you know, do with this, go with the flow, like take advantage of those flow moments of when they're so engrossed in something that they're learning and they're just loving it. It's interesting. And then the bell rings and nope, it's time to go to geography. Why? Yeah. Yes. And I think it's also, like you were saying, fear and control. So when we are in fear, the, the, the reaction is, I'm going to control the conditions and I'm going to control the person. Yeah. Rather than just looking at what the fear is saying or you know, processing. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. So you still, so in, in the UK, you, you have to, um, well, you do your A-levels if you're going on to university yeah. or college, and that's two years? Yes. Yeah. So, and there's, and there's exams, leading exams for those? Yeah. So there's the A-levels at the end. So there used to be the AS, AS and then the A-level, but now it's just yeah. two years and you, then you finish with the A-level. Um, so I guess, you know, one thing that we're, we're sort of saying is, why not let kids play, explore what they want, do job shadowing, start businesses, um, volunteer. They think they want to be a veterinarian, go and hang out in a veterinarian's office for three months. Um, they think they want to be an entrepreneur, have them start a, a business on the school grounds, um, do the things that interest, in that, that, that interest them. And in essence, prepare for the A-levels in a way that works for them. And they know in the end, if they want to go to university, they're still going to have to do those A-levels, but they could prepare however that works for them. You know, they could just do a bunch of online courses right beforehand, or they could go in and get a tutor. I mean, they could do, or they could go straight into business as an entrepreneur and they don't need their A-levels. You know, there's 
the school kind of holds over us. Well, that you're not going to get your diploma unless you do this. Well, there's actually many ways around it, for one thing. You could also spend a lot of time doing other things that would still give you the ability to pass those tests. But man, would it be a lot more fun. Yes. And it is such a shift in terms of societal constructs and paradigms, because what our society says is actually, you know, so for us in the UK, be in primary school, you do your SATs, um, then you do, you go to university, secondary school, and because the SATs are obviously not good enough as an indication, they get you in year seven to do your CAT to reassess and make sure they're right. And then you do your GCSEs and then you do your A-levels and then you do your, you know, you go to the Holy Grail University, preferably in the really good universities. And, and then you find the graduate scheme and then, you know, on you go on comes the will, you know, keep going for, you know, surely I'll get happiness at some point. No, still not that, continue, still not that, continue, still not that. Um, and so what you're suggesting is so like, it's such a, a, a um, what's the word I want to use? It's such a departure from the norm, the, uh, you know, the, the, the standard, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess then you remove the threat. Well, you know, if you don't have the diploma, you can't go to the Holy Grail, right? Right. So, well, you know, for so many people, this whole holy grail business, it's not working. It's not working. You know, we don't have enough mental hospitals. We don't have enough mental services. We don't have enough health services. We don't have enough counselors. We have too many people that are needing drugs and they don't know who they are. What if we let kids figure out who they were when they were adolescents? Because when they're supposed to be doing it, so they wouldn't have all this angst carried over through to adulthood and makes such a mess. Imagine. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's essentially what that's essentially what overschooled and undereducated was about. That we are completely getting it wrong for adolescents. They are meant to be doing real things, not sitting in a classroom. And we are harming them. And I believe we're harming society by continuing to persist with this standard and yet completely false way of educating. It is, you know, we're trying to grow, we're trying to grow lemon trees, you know, in the Arctic. Yeah, you can grow lemon trees in the Arctic, but it's going to be really expensive. It's going to take a lot of people. It's going to take a lot of input. It's going to take a lot of chemicals. But you can do it. Why would you? There's a place where lemon trees will naturally grow perfectly happily. Yes, and and this is one of my arguments that I've been sort of using recently. So, so you know this this thing that you said the you know the the Holy Grail is making young people unwell. I see it. I see it on a daily basis, to the point that last week, um, I really I, I was really upset. I like literally got upset by. And I, I, I turned my computer off and I just said to my husband, what are we doing to these young people? Like we literally, because we're saying they have to be there, you know, so 
I, I teach French. You know, there are some young people who are so stressed that they can't speak French. It makes them want to throw up. I mean, like it really yeah. literally makes them physically sick. Yeah, yeah. It just leaves me speechless. I'm like, why? Yeah. I mean, what, why would you want to put yourself through this? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not what you want to do. I mean, it's okay, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, the, other, the other myth that we believe in is that, you know, school needs to provide all these things and all this vast array of curriculum and all these subjects and all these areas because we want children to be well-rounded. We want them to be well-rounded. Can I ask you, who do you know that's a well-rounded adult? No one. Is Bill Gates, Gates well-rounded? No. Do I care if Bill Gates, knows, Bill Gates knows the rules of volleyball and how to play the violin? No, don't care. Bill, I think, is fine with the skills that he has. Why do we insist that children need to be well-rounded? When we know it doesn't work, we can expose them to all. We can throw all that stuff at them, but they're only going to pick up the bits they like anyway. They're only going to retain the bits they like anyway. So in an effort to make them well-rounded, we're wasting their time. Yes. And, it, and the other thing that I'd love to discuss with you is this feeling I have. So, you know, two children, one who is uh, now often described as the perfect square that fits the perfect hole that, you know, that standardization yep. sort of suggests. Um, and then my youngest is more of a heart-shaped individual. Yeah. Um, and part of the reason I'm taking this career break is to be there for him when he, he starts secondary school. Um, because I really worry that if we try and shove a heart-shaped individual through that square, if it, 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 the, the image um, I have is like, you know, when you're trying to force shapes through holes, like some of them through, I don't want that to happen to him. Um, and then yeah, you don't want the bits of his head that are the, the clever parts being shaved off, <laughs> getting into the wrong hole. <laughs> yeah. and, and to some extent, I feel that, that I said, when I say I'm part of a, the product of a schooling system, I feel that I have had to shave off some bits and take on some stuff that doesn't belong to me. Mm -hmm. I went through 10 years of self-development to unlearn to be the person I am right now. Right. Um, there's a part of me that's thinking, well, why would I get my son to not embrace his heart-shaped person and actually allow him to be this heart-shaped person rather than just shoving him through this square hole and then have to almost like rebuild the shape later on. Yeah. Well, it's silly. You know, you think if people are going to spend, you spent 10 years on learning this stuff. So why do we think kids need to be so busy learning a predetermined set of stuff instead of just playing and fooling around and exploring and doing the things they want to do so that later on they could take something seriously. You know, it's no wonder that kids get out of university and are like, well, what do I want to do now? I don't know. I don't know how to do anything. I, you know, I've learned a bunch of stuff, but I, I don't know who I am. Knowing who you are, knowing how you learn and loving learn, loving to learn, 
That's it. That's all we need. The rest they can figure out if we would just give them the opportunity to figure out those three things. Mm. And I think maybe because for adult play is childish and is ridiculous. And yeah, I was saying that to my younger. So very often we do like silly dancing in the kitchen yeah, and yeah. like giggle and laugh. Um, and I was saying, I think adults, we take ourselves too seriously, way too seriously. Like if you, yeah. if you can't laugh, if you can't giggle, then it just means that you're not intellectual enough. You're not, you know. And I wonder whether that is also having an impact in terms of, you know, that belief is, is also creating the issues we see where we just want our teenagers to be serious and silence and you know obedience yeah. well it's silly too because we i also think that we think you know you think of somebody that's older and you think oh they got such a childlike quality they're you know they laugh they they still have fun they can still play it's so wonderful to see that in an older person so we admire it and yet we try to kill it in our kids which is which makes no sense and every every book on the brain every child psychologist will tell you what do kids need to do play Play, 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 play. What did our ancestors do? Play, 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 play. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. It's, it's you know, if you think it's childish, you need to go read a few more books about how, how learning actually takes place because that is what it is. Yes. And the learning seems to be like a theme. So, you know, for parents to educate themselves. But also I would say, do you think that we need to change the way we train teachers and, and educators? We, we completely need to change that, um, 100%. Because as I just said, there, you know, this idea of brain-based learning seems to be a fairly new thing in, uh, in teacher training, which is crazy. So you know, teachers actually need that the most thing they need to do is understand, is to understand human development, understand people and brains of kids. And, you know, we spend the most time teaching them behavior management and assessment and filling out forms and report cards. That's, that's not really what makes the difference. It's, it's, you know, teachers should be trained on interpersonal relationship development. Relation, learning comes through relationship. You know, the, the, we do need the adults in the beginning, but they should be there as loving, supportive guides that are there for you know, information when requested and ideas when requested and, you know, support and helping hand when you fall down, you know, not, not judges. I mean, I, I, I started Classroom Connections over 20 years ago. And at the time people were saying, teachers need to stop being the sage on the stage and be the guide on the side. Well, they're still saying it and they're still being the sage on the stage. So does teacher education need to change? But I, I, Unfortunately, I've got to the point where I believe that the way this is going to change is enough people, enough parents, and enough kids say, that's it. We're fed up. I will take these three classes. I'm not taking the rest. I will participate in these two physical activities in gym. I don't care about volleyball. I don't care about soccer. I'm not going. And here's my parents' permission form. I don't need to go. You know, we just... It's time to say no. There's been a another number of other movements, you know, particularly Me Too, where women just suddenly said, 
no, not okay. It's not okay. And we need to say this yeah. with school. When no means no, it's like, not maybe, no. No. Absolutely. And I, I've been saying, so um, my, yes, last night, uh, my son and two other young people held an, uh, an event uh, for young people, you know, by young people, for young people to talk about education. Um, oh, great. The reason we did that is because uh, my, my eldest watched this event, um, you know, around education and, you know, it was, it was literally, uh, he was watching and he didn't feel empowered. And so when we finished the conversation, I said to him, okay, so do you want to talk about that? And he said, well, you know, it's a little bit like you, mum, you know, with, with flourishing education is great stuff, but it's you telling us young people what we need. Um, and, you know, at, at which point do you ask young people, like on your podcast, you've got all these experts, but where are the young people? So I was like, oh, okay. And then he thought, <laughs> went, well, okay. And he just went, so how about you put your money where your mouth is and you enable me um, and others to sort of try and do something. Um, Great. Um, and last night it was so amazing listening to them, to, you know, to, to sort of 13 and a half year olds who sort of reflecting on, you know, we want more, more independence, more of a voice, you know, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Um, but yet yeah, sort of like saying, you know, I asked them, I said, imagine tomorrow I, 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 I say you're now a self-directed learner, <laughs> what happens? And they're like, oh my God, I'm so scared with this um and i i think i think you know um i remember i think it's uh ian cunningham who said that when he tried to work in in schools um he found that a lot of the the children you know the kids the young people in schools were saying no i couldn't be self-directed because actually um i wouldn't do nothing i you know so I wonder how we we change that rhetoric and that language. You know, it's the same with parents. A lot of parents say, no, 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 you can't. No, my it wouldn't work for my kid because they'd spent right. their time on their on their phones or their the you know playing Minecraft or you know whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Which turned out to be a good thing. If you look at Dr. Peter Gray's research, kids spend all day doing Minecraft. There's nothing wrong with that. They're making neural connections, they're getting hand-eye coordination. And they're collaborating. People aren't playing games on their own. And they're trying to do something harder and harder and harder and harder. And I was very, when my kids were little, I was very anti-game. And I had to kind of eat my words when I started reading the research and realized, oh, okay, this is a good thing. You know, now, are there cases of addiction? Yes, they are. Are they anywhere near the cases of alcohol addiction? Not even close. So, you know, of the things that we need to worry our kids are going to get addicted to, gaming is not at the top of the list, you know, and, and socializing and being around other kids, which of course is, has been harder because of COVID, but, you know, kids being out, outside and playing, that's the other thing that school robs them of, is, that it, is the opportunity to be outside. And we, we've got as many people as, you know, uh, far more people uh, dealing with nature deficit disorder then we have, you know, dealing with game addiction. 
that's a real thing, major deficit. deficit. Mm. Yes. And, it, um, and, and you're right, because with the, with the gaming, I see with the boys and sort of like, you know, playing with their friends, we also had, you know, that with the about learning about no, um, they, I heard them sort of having this conversation. My, his, you know, my youngest was saying to his brother, no, and that could hear that the conversation was going on and he obviously was insisting. So I walked in and I said, can I just ask, did you not hear what he said? And he just went, uh, and I went, what, what did he say to you? And, I just, and he just went, no. And I went, well, what does that mean? And he's like, uh, and I went, when he says no, that's when you stop the, and he's like, oh. And I went, because this is a really important message I want to convey, is that when someone is saying no, that's their limit. They're saying, well, overstepping the mark for me. And we have to respect overstepping the mark for others. And then you know, I said, you're a teenager. I said, you might not need to understand this right now. But in a couple of years, you may start entering in relationships with people. And if the people you start seeing suddenly say to you, no, I want you to understand that, to internalize that that message means no, you stop. Yeah. So if whoever you are seeing is yeah. saying to you, we're not going there. Yeah. yeah. Good distinction though. Good distinction to take that yeah. take that moment and teach him that, right? He said, yeah, I understand, I understand. And he said, it's not easy. And I said, no, of course it's not easy because it's about, you know, it's also about um, self-regulation and, you know, like learning about self-control. It's like, you know, if you felt, you felt really angry when you were younger, you would lash out. Whereas now you just learn to manage emotions. <laughs> That's part of the process, yeah. uh, you know. And had that happened somewhere where I wasn't around, then I wouldn't have had this conversation with him, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so amazing. I, I, I absolutely yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm being, um, I'm a bit of a converted. I'm sort of like now thinking. I keep saying, maybe I, I, I might not send Jack to second. Well. Or you know what? Be a, be let him be a free learner. Go and look at the tab, and yes. register him for school, and say to him, "Look, here's our agreement." I mean, there's actually a rights and responsibilities section on the on the website because it's, you know, have a look at that. with yeah. with a lot of rights, with a lot of freedom comes a lot of responsibility. So yeah. maybe there are two or three things he'd like to do at school, and the rest of the time he's not there. Mm. You know, he takes some classes. Maybe he doesn't do the homework. Maybe he doesn't yeah. do the tests. Maybe he goes and uses the lab. You know, it's it's a public resource. Mm. We should get to use it the way we want. Yeah. And and that power or that freedom of speech doesn't mean that it's it's freedom of responsibilities, right? So right. Doesn't mean you can go in and decide you don't like the color of the blue walls and paint the other whole thing fluorescent pink. I mean, that's, that's still destruction of public property, but to be, to stand up for your own rights, to sit, to, to leave the class and the teacher says, where are you going? And you say, I'm going to the washroom. And the teacher says, well, I didn't give you permission. I think it's fine to have your answer be, I know, but I'm going anyway. 
like, give me strength. How do we say that, you know, in 1989, we decided that human rights applied to kids? Not sure what we thought kids were before that, before we decided they were humans. But anyway, in 89, most of the world signed the, uh, the Treaty of, of, uh, of Rights and Freedoms Applied to Children. Well, mm. the most basic human right is yeah. to decide what you're going to do with your time. Yes. Hmm. And it's not really advertised very much, is it? Yeah. It's not. And that's what we're, you know, and it's interesting. I'm glad your son brought up the boat, you know, that the youth need to do this. So we've got right now, we've got, I think, a core group of 13 young people working to create a free learner movement. So mm -hmm. they're working to get other kids that are younger engaged in this because they're kind of, you know, in university college and they're looking around, they're saying, why did I waste so much time in K to 12 doing these things when I could have been doing something else? Now I'm in third year university. I don't even like this course. If I'd done job shadowing when I was 14, I might've known and I would have done something else. Yes. So they're really looking back and saying, it doesn't make sense. And trying to get younger kids, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, engage in this idea of, hey, learn about this, get your parents involved and make choices for yourself. Yes. And what is the response of the institutions the schools uh, the policy makers all of those things have you are you having a bit of a pushback well we're not having much of anything because of covid okay so what we have heard from is we've got a number in fact most of our kind of core team are education renegades um and a lot of people that have kind of signed on on with the website and have joined are also educators they're teachers so there's plenty of teachers out there that want change too but in, until we go back to in class, you know, regular kind of school, you can't really go and have these negotiations. Now, you can just do it. We know there's lots of kids that are doing online school right now and they, they log in, they do the thing they want, and then they leave. And they're, they're doing it their own way. And that's being free learner. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of people that have sat down and had meetings with the schools, it's not the right time to do that. I mean, I'm hoping September might be, mm -hmm. might be not till January 2022. <laughs> no, amazing. And the well, other the other comment I wanted to 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 make before I then we then wrap up um, is, you know, you were saying about so parents and young people. I really think that we. I, I read an article from Dr. Yeager in the States. He was saying that um, we're not using the teenage brain. Um, effectively, and you were saying that actually so some of the research was, um, uh, if I remember rightly, he was he, they did research where they're sort of saying to young people, you need to eat healthily. And the adult was talking and they were like literally not listening to the adults. And then suddenly they turned around and they said to the, to the teenagers, look at the food industry, it's exploiting you and it's you know, making money on your back, all of those things. Suddenly they all started boycotting a lot of the products. So he's saying, we're not using the, the teenage brains in the, in effectively really to empower. Mm -hmm. And so that made me think, well, imagine if we actually, you know, if we start really telling young people, like you were saying, making them really aware um, what, what the system, the effect of the system and all of those mm -hmm. 
then they're more likely to say, okay. <laughs> yeah, how do you spell Dr. Yiga? It's Y-E-A-G-E-R. Okay. He's in the, in the States. Um, I can send okay. you an article, because I'll send you by email. Okay, copy of right. That. It's yeah. really interesting reading. Um, but yeah, and I, I sort of think, well, and they're also future voters, right? So that's the other angle we could take in the sense that if they're going to be voting, and so the decision makers, the, the policy makers, you know, our governments, they have been elected by us. <laughs> so there's another power there, right? Yes, yes. Well, it's interesting. They, uh, uh, we, we did a, uh, a poll, we commissioned a poll in Canada to um, ask parents if they, what changes they wanted to see in education. And 73% of parents felt that children need to make more decisions and study the things that they were interested in. It was, it was a much higher number than we even anticipated. And something like 68% wish they'd had, uh, were able to follow, follow their own passions to do things they wanted to do in school. So the, the results are really strong, they're, they're on our website, but the, the same organization that did that polling for us also did some work in the States and they were trying to uncover who voted for Trump. And they looked at social economics and demographics, all that they could find nothing until they finally looked at people raised in an authoritarian home. Mm. So people that were raised with no choice or agency constantly told what to do are the kind of people that vote for a leader like Trump. Somebody who's going to tell you what you think and take charge. Wow. So if we, you know, we need to raise free thinkers, mm. right? We need to yes. raise yes. people who yes. question, who can have choice so that yes. they can actually make informed choices about who they like. It's pretty scary. Yes, free thinkers, free learners and free thinkers is what we want, right? Exactly, that is right. Yeah, so Heather, um, I have absolutely loved our conversation and I really hope it's the, the start of many, you know, one of many conversations. Yeah, well, anytime. <laughs> um, but to, to wrap up, I always ask my guests, um, you know, if there was one or two things you would want the, our listeners to take from this conversation, what would it be? It would be that the school system belongs to families and it belongs to young people. And we need to start acting like we are the ones that own it. Boom. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at Flourishing Heichi on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much.
and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.